Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm really fascinated and excited about today's guest, Lori Barkman. She's introduced via a fellow colleague all about books, and she is an author about the Business Transition Handbook. She's got a lot of interesting ideas, which I think the guests will really resonate with, particularly for the um, high-income professionals, and I'm happy to welcome her to the show. So Lori, welcome. Christopher, thank you. I'm so excited to be with you today. Yeah, I know. I always love um, hearing about guests, their background, their story to find inspiration, wisdom, and uh, kind of set the stage for the audience. So tell people about yourself and um, about your book and your work and et cetera. Yeah, thank you so much. Most of my career was spent on the growth side, marketing, sales, business development. And I really had an appreciation for for growing the business. When I became a CEO, I appreciated the P&L, the full P&L, which is, hey, we've got the bottom line to be mindful of, not just the top line. And putting that all together is really the growth side of what we do as entrepreneurs is so powerful. Yet, we don't always win at the end of the day for what's our end game. And how I got started thinking about Endgame was working as a CEO as in uh, a third-generation company. I was hired in from the outside to be part of a long-term succession plan. I was hired as CEO of one of the subsidiaries. And the business was 125-year-old company in the transportation logistics industry. So I thought, this is great. I'm going to be here for the next 20-plus years. I'm going to retire in this company. I was re- really excited about that idea. But lo and behold, a uh, global transportation company acquired this business in 2015 for $1.4 billion. (laughs) Drop the mic, right? It was a big transaction. It was very exciting for myself and the other executives to be part of that mergers and acquisitions process. I learned a ton and on the other side of it was the integration and how do we make these initial you know, steps forward? How do we make that successful? So that whole experience as a CEO going through an exit stayed with me. And as I transitioned and worked in private equity for a bit, I decided that I, I had a, a vision, right? How do I help entrepreneurs maximize the value of their business while they still can, while there's time? And then how do we let it go? How do we let it go on our own terms? And that's what became ultimately my practice as the business transition Sherpa and working with business owners from transition 
to transaction. I'm a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor, and that's how I stitch it together. We, we say, what can we do to create value? And what do we need to do to let go without exit regrets? I love that. And that really sets the stage for what we talk about, because you've got extensive background as a business transition and a M&A intermediary. So kind of talk about the most common challenges business owner face when preparing for a transition and how do you advise them navigating these challenges? I think the number one thing by far is we all need to recognize that 100% of business owners are going to leave their company one day, but very, very few are prepared. And one of the biggest obstacles, Christopher, is a business that cannot survive or thrive without its its leader, its owner. Mm-hmm. And these owner dependencies can be a bit of a surprise when a buyer's looking at the company going, yeah, you know, we see a lot of risk here. And then the owner's like, what? I'm the problem? Yeah. It, it's kind of this catch-22 in our minds that we might think that we're the star. We are the reason why we have such good client relationships. We are the we are the innovators in our business, and it feels great, right? It feels great. We're driving revenue. It's exciting. We feel valued and proud. But if there's no one else in your organization who can do what you do, mm-hmm. what is the transferable value? Mm-hmm. What is the transferable asset that a buyer will be buying? Mm-hmm. What does a buyer want? How do we put ourselves in the shoes of the buyer to take a realistic look in the mirror and understand today what risks we have presenting themselves and then also how a buyer might look at those risks and are they something that we can work through? Is it something that's going to be a big discount on your ultimate sell price or is it a reason that a buyer is going to walk away and not want to buy the business at all? So here's another statistic that might shock you and your audience, that only two out of 10 companies in the lower middle market that have an intention to sell mm-hmm. actually sell, which means eight out of 10 don't. Mm-hmm. And the owner dependency is a big, big factor. There's other factors too, but it just makes us stop and think and go, oh, wait a minute. You know, What are those things that might present my business in a way that I don't expect it to be presented as so that the buyers are going, oh, wait, that's this business is not for me, or it's not for me at that price. Yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting because um, you know, especially the audience, they're so, especially the physician audience, and you know, from my background and training, we're so used to doing everything ourselves. Even like you know, in this day and age, we have patients to take care of, and then all of a sudden we have to hire assistant, and it's hard to train them. And we're like, oh, it's just easier if I do it everything, and then we end up getting burned out and overwhelmed. So so then what's what's really interesting in your bio that I was reading about was that um, you the former CEO of a 100 million revenue company sold to a Fortune 50. And then what key strategies do you believe are most effective in creating a more valuable business that attracts the right buyers? Well, let's take it from the standpoint where you just said and and the listeners maybe, you know, can relate can relate to this. I'll call the the description you just used as a craftsperson, right? Somebody who has a lot of education and skill. And so medical professionals, uh, engineering, professional engineers, there's different kinds of people that may identify that way, right? With just like you said, where I have the skill, I am the practitioner, and now I've got to bring other people into my business so that I can grow and scale. And it isn't just about me. 
And there are definitely medical practices that succeed in, in doing that. No, no question. The practices that that do that, where it's multiple, it's multiple practitioners, you know, medical practitioners and not just one. Um, if there is a solo practitioner, you might have great profitability, but it comes down to that transition, you know, the transferability of the business, what is actually transferring to the buyer. So that the team around you, the capability of the team, the processes that you have in place and your ability to grow and scale is an absolute thing to take a look at. Another thing to take a look at, of course, depends on the type of business that it is. There are certain medical practices that lend themselves to having a recurring revenue model. Uh, let's, you know, whether it's cosmeceutical sales and, you know, the and the services that go along with it, people want to have their facials and their facial products, dermatology, uh, you know, whatever it is, four times a year, two times a year. That's, a, I think, one example where you can create a client base that keeps coming back to you and you can create pricing packages that creates a recurring revenue model. Not all medical practices are able to do that. I recognize there's some one-time you know, things that, that we get into. But to the degree that your business can, for any business, whether it's, you know, whether it's a medical business, whether it's engineering, you know, the craftspeople mentality, whereas we've got this very specific skill and we've been certified in it and we have years and years of training. Um, there's a, uh, a reputation also that's very powerful, but think about that reputation when you leave the business. Will that reputation stay and transfer as goodwill, or will it, or will what will happen to it? So the call it the marketing and branding mm -hmm. of your practice can also add value. Your client list. So I've shared sort of three things here at a high level, right? It the industry you're serving. How are you creating something that is transferable and valuable and attractive? So it's it's the revenue model, it's the client development, it's the it's the brand reputation, the niche that you have, and ultimately the clients that you're serving. Um, this holds for any business, not just medical practices. These are good fundamental concepts, of course, that I wrote about in my book, the Business Transition Handbook, which is how do we think about and strip down the idea of what are the assets of the business and what will actually transfer. You yourself, you might stay on for a year or two, but then you're you're gone, right? If you're looking to kind of cash out, move on, retire, start another business, whatever you want to do. And what is the buyer left with? That's how you have to think about the business. Yeah. And so kind of advice for entrepreneurs is um, because you actually are actually an adjunct professor and you're shaping the next generation of business leaders. So kind of what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs about preparing their businesses for eventual transition or sale from the outset? I think it's really powerful to begin with the exit in mind. And that's why I'm launching an online course, a masterclass called Endgame Entrepreneurship. And it takes the book and it puts it on an online form with videos and everything and tools and exercises so that we can workshop these concepts. And a really big concept, even for early stage entrepreneurs is to think about what it is we're building, what problem are we solving for the market, and who ultimately might be a best fit buyer. There's different kinds of buyers out there. Not all of them will be a fit. Some of them will be. Why? And what is it that would make your business attractive to that, to that type of buyer? So there's strategic buyers, there's financial buyers, and then there's internal buyers. 
All of these types of buyers have different motivations and they will have different perceptions of risk and value in your business. So it's really good, I think, to think ahead and then work backwards because we have time on our side. And if we can build a business with an exit in mind, we can work backwards. We can reverse engineer our exit. We can learn what buyers are looking for. And if a recurring revenue model is one of those things we're looking for and we don't have it, and we've got five to seven years to make it happen, or at least get to maybe 50% of our revenue, hey, that's awesome. But if you find out and you have a year a year till you want to retire, nothing's going to change. And mm-hmm. then you are where you are. Yeah, I love that. Begin with the end in mind and kind of reverse engineer and um, back backtrack it so that what you're doing today coincides with what you're going to do in the end. Um, you know, you'd mentioned what's interesting is you've got a book, you've got a course, you've got a podcast. So I'm really interested in podcasts through your podcast succession stories. You've had the opportunity to speak with a lot of experts. And so what are some unexpected insights or common themes you've discovered about business transition and succession planning just by talking with other guests and other individuals? Yeah, I've interviewed, oh gosh, probably 150 people on succession stories at this point. And the number one thing is time. Mm. It comes up over and over again. How much time do people need? And if someone's telling their story and how much time it took and everybody says, I wish I started sooner. That's the, that's one thing. The other, the other thing that comes up really quite often is the, is the highest bidder Mm -hmm. is not necessarily always the buyer that wins. It comes down to fit. So price matters, Mm -hmm. but ultimately best fit wins. I hear that over and over. So those two things is start sooner than you think, because it takes longer than you think it will. And when it comes to the buyer, think about really what about fit. And what makes best fit? It's not just about price. Yeah, I love that fit. Um, you know, it's all about the fit. You can, you know, you have the wrong fit, nothing works out. Um, the other question is this: um, you've got a book, the Business Transition Handbook, how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options, which I recommend for the audience to check it out in the show notes. Um, it touches on crucial planning aspects and kind of. Um, Talk about the central thesis and how it can help the audience. And if they want to go and check it out, where can they find it? Yeah, absolutely. They can start on my website and they can grab it there. They can get it on Amazon. It is a handbook. I called it a handbook for a reason. And how to hack the book (laughs) is dog ear it, write in it, take notes, highlight. Every chapter ends with key takeaways and a little action planner table every chapter. And there's like 14 chapters. So there's a lot of work to be done. I think it's best to go in order on the chapters. If you want to jump around, I I won't get mad at you. (laughs) But I wrote it in the way of the reader. I wrote it with the reader in mind, the business owner. What pitfalls do we want to avoid? And every chapter is a pitfall to avoid until you get towards the end, which is where I'm tying it all together in this concept around strategic transition planning. Did you know that if you write down your goals, you're more than 40% likely to achieve them? But as I said earlier, most business owners have not taken the time to do the planning and create a transition and exit plan for the business, which is a real miss if you think about it from an asset management standpoint, 
It is probably the number one asset in the portfolio for a business owner. It could be as significant as 70 to 80% of their net worth. Yet there's risk there if we're not planning ahead for whether it's contingency planning and planning for the unforeseen and things that we can't necessarily have in our control or the things that we can have in our control, which I'd like us to have, which is our eventual exit Mm. and exiting on your terms without regrets. So how do we do that with success? How do we do that on our terms? And each of the chapters takes you through the different aspects from growth planning to, uh, you know, these other things about risk mitigation and ultimately reverse engineering and exit by coming up with your timeline one of my favorite chapters is is who should own the business after you. And when people read that, they're like, wow, that was really eye-opening. They just didn't realize that there's all these different categories of buyers. Everybody just hears about one or two of them. And they don't realize that there's more of them out there. It's a giant, it's a giant game of life, right? This is not easy. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And my intention is for entrepreneurs, especially early stage, to read this book. As a, as a Sherpa would say, right, I'm a business transition Sherpa, take it with you on your journey. You know, this is a journey. Let me be with you on your journey to help mentor you through it. And that's why I'm launching this masterclass, because I think it's a natural evolution from the book to get the support. And then eventually I'm going to have um, other things, too, for from a support standpoint, like masterminds. And, of course, there's always VIP uh, uh-huh. to work with me one-on-one. And yeah, I love that. Um, and I love guests that have additional resources. So how can people find out more about you and learn more about you? The business transition Sherpa.com is my website. I've got my podcast book and the course is on the site. So it's probably the, the number one place to go. And they can also set up some time to meet with me if people want to talk one-on-one. Uh, and for the audience, let's thank Lori for coming on and uh, really talking about succession planning, something that business owners don't really think about, you know, kind of they first start, you know, becoming self-employed and they start thinking about business ownership and then the exit, which is, you know, you're three steps ahead. So I love that. And check out our book, check out our website. It's got everything, podcasts, all our resources. And with that, thanks so much for coming on. I mean, it's my pleasure.